Blog Talk Radio. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found. Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground. Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around. We on Christ's side now, guarantee it's going down. All right, and it's going down indeed. Good morning, good morning, and thank you for joining another episode of the Ask a Shop Show. Today, as uh, mentioned, we will be following up on the conversation of Sons of God and Resurrection of the Dead. And combined the two conversations, we had a Resurrection of the Dead conversation a few weeks ago, uh, which touched on what exactly uh, is Resurrection of the Dead. Is Resurrection of the Dead uh, the rising of uh, bodies of old that are buried in the grave? and the uh, putting back on of the flesh and the judgment, or is that a spiritual resurrection of the spiritually dead and them being changed into the image of Christ? Then we followed up with the sons of God and showed how they were predestined before the earth was even made, and they lived before the earth was even made, and were predestined to be changed into the image of Christ. And so the resurrection of the dead could very well be these sons of God coming from a dead estate of mind and going into the estate of mind of Christ, which is life eternal. That's why Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it also tells you in John that he became the light of the world. So when you enter into life, when you enter into Christ, and uh, you're changed into an immortal life, that is what we uh, were looking at as the resurrection of the dead. So today, we're going to tie the two conversations together and try to get some understanding of what connection uh, the sons of God have to the resurrection of the dead and try to make it clear and also show how that is uh, going to affect the future for everyone. Uh, believe it or not, like it or not, how that's going to affect everyone's future. So you remember, as always, you're welcome to call in at 424-220-1850. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Kashab. That's the at symbol, ask, A-S-K-C-H-A-A-S-H-A-B. Or follow us on Facebook, just so that you can be updated on the shows and the rebroadcast of the shows. And for Facebook, it's uh, askkashab at gmail.com. Put that in the search box, and you can follow us. So let's go on into the conversation. And let's begin the conversation at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. And it says this, and this is Paul speaking. And he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And ultimately, what is this mystery? Obviously, if it was something that everyone knew, it wouldn't be a mystery. It's something that you have to solve. And so what's the mystery? Well, you've heard them say they have an age-old question of why are we here? Well, we're here so that we can actually go from the mortal into the immortal. That's why we're here. We're not here to, uh, to eat, sleep, and, uh, and, and, and use the bathroom. We're here for a purpose. And that also adds to why sometimes people feel uh, depression, because you, if you lose purpose, if your purpose is ultimately 
to if you if you believe that your purpose is to to get money and then die, when you're not getting money, you go into a depression because you feel like you're not living your purpose. If your purpose is just to have a nice, perfect family, then when that doesn't happen, you begin to start going through depression. So what is our purpose? Our purpose is to reach a higher spiritual level, which is the ultimate spiritual level of immortality. When you're not on that purpose or you're not on that mission, your life feels like it has no purpose. Even when sometimes you have all that man would want. For example, you have very rich people that commit suicide. Why? Because somewhere along the line they have lost their purpose. So going back here, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When he says we shall not all sleep, what is that talking about? What is the definition of those that sleep? Well, sleep, we know, means physically die. Okay? Physically die. For example, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it goes a little bit more into this uh, sleep. Okay? Let's take a quick look at that, and we're going to be jumping back and forth to 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 because it's relevant for this conversation. And we're going to go into um, verse chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, But I will not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So don't be ignorant about those that are asleep, meaning those that have already perished or have already died, as if they have no hope. Why not? Because those that have already died, they're with the Lord. Those that are asleep or have left our world, they're not uh, done forever. They're not doomed. They haven't uh, missed out on the promise. They're reserved because they have a glorious return with the Lord. Uh, they're also the other proof of that. Where are they? They died. Where did they go? Where did they go? Did they just go into the ground? No, their spirit went up. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it gives a little insight into what happened to those people, those that died for Christ. Revelation 6 and 9 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, this is a conversation happening in heaven. I saw under the altar, under what altar? Under the altar of God. The souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Those are the ones that died for the word of God. And for the testimony which they held. The testimony which they held is that if he put a certain spirit inside of these men to bring out a certain amount of information, such as the case with Stephen, when Stephen brought out the breakdown to the Pharisees and to the other people that doubted in Christ who Christ was and how he came from the history and how he was prophesied in the history. And when he finished saying those things, they were so cut. They were so cut that they started biting him and they stoned him to death because of the testimony that he had. He testified of Christ. You have the other uh, 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 patriarchs. 
and the martyrs before, such as um, Elijah, who testified of the word. And what happened? Jezebel wanted to kill him. Okay? Of course, in Elijah's case, he was taken up. He was taken up out of the earth altogether. He didn't even, he didn't even die. But he left this reality. And where is he now? So this is Revelation 6 and 9. It says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not avenge, judge, and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Obviously, they're not on the earth. They're in heaven. And so they're asking the Lord, well, when are you going to avenge? When is righteousness going to be established? Because we died for this same word. And when is wickedness going to be taken down? And that's their question. And that's where they went. Okay? So those are the ones that are asleep. Not that they're spiritually asleep, because obviously they're awoke. But in our reality on the earth... They're no longer here. There's no longer a Stephen. There's no longer a Paul. There's no longer a Peter. There's no longer the disciples in our reality. But are these men still alive? Absolutely, in the spirit world. And they're with Christ right now. So when we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and it says, uh, But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep. It's talking about these men, these men that have died in their work for the Most High, okay? And it says, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Don't be sorrowful for them. Don't say, well, man, you know, these guys, you know, they, they did all these things in the name of the Lord, and they're not even going to see his salvation. No, they will see his salvation. As a matter of fact, their their seeing of his salvation right now is more guaranteed than many of us because they've already uh, sealed themselves through dying for the word of God, and they're already guaranteed to return with him, and we'll see that. Here's another example of the characteristics of these individuals. These were men, and also there are women as well, that died in faith. Okay, when I use man, I'm using mankind. So I don't always want to have to say and women as well because there were women that died for the word of God. Okay, but when I say these men is because that's the terminology that it's using. Okay, so for any of the of the of the women out there, I don't I won't always say men and women, but if I say man, I mean in mankind of the children of God. Okay, so let's just have that clear right now. Let's go to Hebrews eleven and see some of the characteristics of these individuals of uh, what they did, okay? These were people of faith. Hebrews 11 is all about faith, okay? Let's look at some of the characteristics of what they did. Let's go to Hebrews 11.32, okay? Hebrews 11.32 is saying, uh, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, because there's so many that have done so much, okay? 
who through faith subdue kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's a reference to Daniel. Not that he physically, his faith and his belief in Christ and his belief in the Most High stopped the mouth of lions because he was thrown up in the lion's den. And the lions didn't eat him. But the next group that went in there, the lions devoured. What else did they do? They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. It means when they were being attacked, they turned the, the, the people that were attacking them to flight, outnumbered in the book of Maccabees, in the uh, original 1611 Bible, speaks about how it is nothing for the Lord to uh, take down a, a, a multitude in the hands of a few. This is all the characteristics of faith. And these were the type of characteristics of the sons of God of the past, same characteristics of the sons of God of the present. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. This is what type of things these men were going, to, going through. This is how they became the martyrs. This is how they uh, became those that we're talking about that slept. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Why? Because Elijah and Elisha, even Paul, rose back someone that died. Okay? Brought him back to life. Christ did the same thing. Brought him back to life. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others have trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Yes, sawn like a saw cut in half. Okay? They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, such as Elijah, such as John the Baptist. They weren't wearing Versace uh, goat skin. They were real, real goat skin. Okay? It wasn't designer clothing. These people were here for a distinct purpose. Okay? Being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom these same individuals, the world was not worthy. Why? Because the world was not worthy to have the sons of God within their midst and treat them worse than you treat a dog. If they knew that they were dealing with the sons of God, even Christ himself as the main son of God, if they would have known, look how they treated him. So these are part of the characteristics of what made them sleep and what made them sons of God. These are some of the things they went through. And guess what? If you're a son of God, you're going to have to prove yourself and go through some things some things too. Don't go through things and suddenly reject your banner, reject your label, because you have to go through it, and you have to go through it with the same kind of faith as the, as the, as the patriarchs did. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, all of them, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. 
Where's the good report? It's recorded in the Bible. Where's the good report? It's recorded in history. You know, Hollywood pulls the little pieces and try to depict their version of what and how these things went went down. Okay? But it's recorded. But they didn't receive the promise of what? They didn't receive the promise of the of the kingdom because there's something that's waiting. Let's read. All these having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Why? Because a circle is not a circle if it's not closed. They fulfilled their part of the circle, but the circle is going to be closed when we fulfill our part of the circle. The sons of God aren't all sealed. The 144,000 aren't all sealed. We're going to get to that. So there's still a process that has to happen where the rest of the sons of God have to come to light or be sealed or woken up. And so then the circle can be complete. And so when you're going through your affliction, whatever your light affliction is, it's nothing compared to what they went through. And if you're going through some stuff, then endure it because all of that is part of the package. I'm going to go to the line, line one. We have a call, a 601 area code. You have a comment? Uh, yes, I actually had a question, and I'm, I'm actually glad you're having this topic because I was reading the scriptures last week, and I came across uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, and I didn't know okay. if you were going to get to this, but if you could explain that scripture to me, I think it ties into what you're saying, which would make it a little more clearer for me. Okay, Matthew 16, and 28. verse 28. Mm-hmm. Okay, he says, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay? What does it mean shall not taste of death? Well, not everybody, and that goes, you know, hand in hand with where we're going in in, in Thessalonians. Okay? Some have slept, but there be some that will not taste of death, meaning you're not going to be... uh, you're not going to have to die as they did in order for you to be changed when the Son of Man comes. And here's a link uh, that goes hand in hand with that. I, I remember, I said that everyone should get a 1611 edition. They sell them at Barnes & Noble. This is a, the original uh, King James translation of the Bible. And in there, there's a book called uh, Ezra's. And in Second Ezra's, it answers the same question. And let me just... Uh, go to that. And this is Second uh, Ezra chapter 6. Um, and it's talking about the actual second coming. Let's look at some of the, the things that's going to lead up to that and, and how it's going to go down um, to show where the taste of death uh, comes in. And it even mentions the same words. This is Second Ezra chapter 6, verse 24 in the 1611 translation. Or you could even pick up an apocrypha uh, go to Barnes & Nobles or go online, Amazon.com, type in Apocrypha, A-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-A, um, or do a search online, and you should be able to find an online Apocrypha. And then you go to Second Ezra chapter 6, verse 24. It says, At that time shall friends fight against one another like enemies. So these are some of the deterioration of relationships that's going to happen because there are going to be those that believe and there's going to be those that don't believe. 
There's going to be those that understand. There's going to be those that don't understand. There's going to be those that love God, and there's going to be those that hate God. There's going to be those that love each other. There's going to be those that love themselves. This is going to cause the division among people that will make them fight against one another like enemies. It says, and the earth shall stand in fear with those that dwell therein. We're going there. Don't think just the natural disasters, but look at the overall climate. It takes a lot for a 10-year-old boy to shoot his mom. But these days, it don't take anything. It takes a lot for a man to kill his whole family. But these days, it just takes losing your job. Okay? At that time, shall friends fight against one another like enemies, and the earth shall stand in fear with those that dwell therein. And the springs of the mountain shall stand still, and in three hours they shall not run. Okay? We're not going to go into that part of it, but let's read on. It says, More whosoever remaineth from all these that I have told thee, all of these perilous times, and shall see my salvation, which is what we're talking about, resurrection and salvation and deliverance and the kingdom, all of those are synonymous, and the end of your world. People read that and they think it's going to, the planet is going to blow up. That's not what's going to happen. There's going to be a change of the power structure. Wickedness will be shut down. Righteousness will be established. Okay? It goes on to say, and men that are received, which means those that are uh, changed from this mortal body into the immortal bottle, shall see it. So that means you may still be in this same body. That means you were born, you might be 30-something years old or 40-something years old, and then boom, the second coming happens. You're not going to have to go in the ground and then be raised up again. You're going to be changed. Look what it says. And men that are received shall see it, see it what? The salvation, who have not tasted death from their birth. Meaning that you haven't died. You didn't go to sleep. You weren't one of those patriarchs or martyrs that have died in the physical. You're just going to be changed from your mortal figure into an immortal figure just like Christ was. Okay, so not everyone will sleep. So it says, and men that are received shall see it who have not tasted death from their birth, and the heart of the inhabitants shall be changed and turned into another meaning. For evil shall be put out and deceit shall be quenched. So that change is going to be uh, the sons and daughters of the Most High will be changed into an immortal uh, body without having to get old and die. And an example of that uh, change can be seen with Elijah. Okay? What happened to Elijah? Elijah was taken up into heaven, but Elijah didn't see the type of death that we see. He saw what's called a transfiguration. Okay, he was he was changed from a mortal body into an immortal body. Same thing happened with Enoch. He was changed from a mortal body into an immortal body. So that's the answer for that question as far as taste death and see death, meaning you're not going to have to necessarily go into the ground. And that's why it's telling us in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, that... Um, but we shall not uh, be ignorant, verse 13, but I will not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So you don't have to worry about them because they're good. 
You have to worry about you because you have to complete that circle because they, the patriarchs, without us, the rest of the uh, sons and daughters of God, shall, shall, they shall not be made perfect until we have been changed. Okay? Did that answer your question, Carla? That answered part of it. I have, I need clarity on one more part of that verse then. Because oh, where yeah. it says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death. It made me think that he was talking about those who were actually standing there talking to him. Mm-hmm. And then it says, Till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Right. I think that's what I'm Right, and he, but remember, um, the the resurrection of the of the of the dead, as far as the um, the resurrection of the dead, as far as the the patriarchs. Remember, these individuals, such as uh, Peter and and Paul and all those other individuals, under the altar of God, uh, they're actually still alive, but they're not alive. In this reality, are you looking at at it as far as the people that he was talking to there would be living all the way up until his second coming? Is that where you right. start? Yeah, it, it sounds like, like it would be that. Of course, I know that's not a reality. And so that's what right. I, I, I was like, okay, maybe that taste of death means something different if he's talking to the individuals that's standing there. Well, no, because remember, if you look up at verse 27, what is he saying? Mm-hmm. He's saying, "For the Son of Man shall come in his in the glory of his Father with his angels." Is he talking about the Son of Man is going to be um, is going to be coming right after he finished making the statement? No, the Son of Man. He's talking future tense. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then then he shall reward every man according to his works. When that's a future tense. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not see taste, not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay? So he's not talking in the present tense of, the, uh, of right now. He's talking about when that goes down, there's going to be some that will not taste death. You see what I'm saying? So it's not when he's talking there, he's not talking uh, as soon as I finish making this statement, the Son of Man is going to come because he still has to die. And then he still has to come again, the second coming. And when that happens, there's going to be some, which is actually talking about us in this time, that will not see death because we're not going to die physically. We're going to be changed spiritually. So he's not talking about right after I finish making the statement. We know that because verse 27, it says, uh, he's talking about the second coming. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. When? In that day. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here, as in that day, not here as in right now. It's like a, you know how you put like a, 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 a marker in your in your Bible and you put a marker because you know what you gotta you gotta get to that you gotta get to that marker. So you put the marker because that marker represents something that you have to look at at a, a later time or something that you don't want to forget. He's just putting a marker saying there shall be some standing here when in that time that shall not see death. 
Okay, so it's not talking about the actual present tense. It's actually talking about the future tense. And he's saying here as in that place, not here as in right here with me. You see what I'm saying? So that's like the marker. Here represents when I come, there shall be some standing here at that place at that time that will not see death, which actually represents us standing in the here right now. Okay? All okay, right. thank you. All right. Remember, the lines are always open for those questions, 424-220-1850. Also, if someone sees something different, I'd definitely like for you to call in um, and, you know, shed whatever light that you have on that particular part of the topic, okay? 424-220-1850. Let's continue because I think it's going to also open up and bring some additional clarity as we continue. Remember, we were in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we were in verse 13 again. So it says, But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So you don't want to be sorrowful for those that um, have passed because there is hope for them. The hope for them is that they're going to return with the king. And some of us, as it says, as we read on, We'll see him um, and see them. So don't really worry about them. Just make sure you could actually get to that day. It says, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So remember we read about those that are under the altar and they're asking when is this thing going to be? Well, Christ is going to bring them with him. So if he's bringing them with him, who's coming out of the ground? Okay? Who's going to come out of the ground? Because the people that have died in righteousness that are waiting for the redemption of the rest of his body, they're going to come with him. It says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Who are the alive and remain? It's the same question that Sister asks. Those that do, will not see death. There are some that are alive and remain. Okay? So I just wanted to be able to show what the sleep were, just so that we can have clarity as we're reading on in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's the reason why we went there. So we have to define dead, and we define dead in our resurrection of the dead discussion as far as those that are in the flesh. Okay? There's more than one definition. We know dead means those that are in the ground, but those in the scriptures are considered those that are sleep. Okay? And not their physical body asleep but they're with Christ. So the sleep represents those with Christ. The dead could represent physically dead, but for these scriptures that we're covering, the dead represents those that are in the human flesh because we already covered that you entered into death when Adam entered into death. All and everyone has entered into death with him. So everyone that's born after Adam that's why I tell you in the same First Corinthians 
that in Adam all die. Okay? But in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay? So let's continue on where we are in 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, verse 51 again, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What does that mean? Does that mean the dead bodies are going to be raised incorruptible? Well, that can't be, because it tells you in the book of Acts, and it was using David as an example, that when your body enters into the ground, you see corruption. Okay? That is the corruption because you're corroded. You're going to take the corroded bodies and raise them back up again? Well, if that's the case, then it wouldn't have gave that example in Acts about Christ being not corrupted using a, uh, when it was speaking of David. Okay? They were trying to say that uh, he is the resurrection um, or he is the rising of the David that was prophesied in the scriptures. Okay? So let's look at that. That's Acts chapter 13. And let's start from um, verse 34, since it pivots on the same exact words. Acts 13, 34 says, And it's concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another Psalms, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Why? Because corruption and corrosion happens when your natural body is put in the ground. After a while, it begins to decay. That's why I say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It begins to decay and it begins to go right back into the form of the, uh, of the earth. So it says for David, trying to see if this is the actual natural David, and again, pivoting off of the, the question that the sister had, did David live after all the way through into the time of Christ and come back in the body of Christ? No, he came back through the sea. So it says, wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his father and saw corruption. So this was David. So imagine all the other bodies that are in the ground. What happens? They see corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Because Christ was only in the in the sepulcher for in in the tomb for three days, okay. In three days you don't see corruption, okay. It says, um, "But I know, but it be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things." from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And it goes into something else. But showing you that the David that it was talking about 
in Ezekiel that would come back and be raised up, that David is actually Christ because David, the uh, the patriarch, saw corruption. His body corroded, and that's it. He's not coming back. But Christ, the 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 seed of David, um, when he died, he didn't see corruption because he was only there for three days and rose again. So if he was there for 30 days, if he was there for 100 years, if he was there for 2,000 years, there would be no reason to raise that body up because that body is all decayed. So that's the impression that we're being taught, that um, uh, those bodies are going to be uh, raised back up. Well, so what about the people that they are cremated? Are they finished? They're not going to be judged? Or is he going to find and gather together all of the ashes and from all over wherever and scatter together and then make bone again and then put flesh? It's too much, okay? That's not what it's, that's not what it's speaking about. So Revelations, uh, uh, we're going to go back to, to Corinthians in a second, but Revelations, just to prove that Christ um, is the David that it was speaking about, is Revelations twenty two sixteen. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Okay? So just like we were covering the other day as far as was he um, uh, immaculately born, well, here it is saying he's the offspring of David. Okay? So I don't know how you're going to be an offspring. There's no other offspring except for the offspring that come through um, the relationship of a man and a woman and the conception of that child. Okay? So let's go back into Corinthians, 1 Corinthians Again, chapter 15, and we were in verse 51. Actually, no, we're further down. We're in verse 52. So it says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So the dead raised incorruptible cannot be already corrupt dead bodies being raised incorruptible. It's talking about the corruption in our ways as far as sin, that you're not going to be subject to sin anymore. You're not going to be able to sin because you will be raised the son of God. You're not going to have the desire to sin because you're going to be an angel of God. Yes, you're going to be an angel of God. Let's take a quick look at that. And that's a pretty hefty statement. Luke chapter 20, verse 36. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. So when you're an angel, what sin? Because sin is transgression of the law. So what laws do angels keep? Spirit law. Angels are not subject to, you can't say to the angel, um, it's the Sabbath day and um, what are you doing? Coming down here all the way from heaven on the Sabbath. You're supposed to be sitting in heaven doing nothing on the Sabbath. When you enter into the rest of being an angel of God, you're in a permanent Sabbath. You're in a permanent rest. You have ceased from your own works, and now all you do is the business of the Most High. That's your rest, because you're in your angelic estate. 
Okay? So you're not going to do the corruptible things that humans do. Okay? Verse 53. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Okay? When someone is dead in the ground, there is no mortal because their spirit is gone out of their body. And their body is dead. So obviously it's not talking about the physically dead going from mortal to immortality because you're not a mortal if you're dead, but you're a mortal if you're alive in a mortal frame of mind and your body is still subject to death. Okay? For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So that's the mystery that Paul was talking about. And he says, we're not all going to sleep, as the sister brought out. Some of us will not taste death, but we shall all be changed. When? When that day comes. So right now, we're waiting for the change. So, for example, in one of the previous discussions, I said that we were once in the prison, and Satan was the prison holder. Not even the prison guard. He owns the prison, and he has all his little guards, which are the people within society that tries to bring you back in to the prison mentality. Okay? They call them social agents. Social agents are the people who are just as ignorant about God as you might have been at one point of time, as I might have been at one point of time, and they steer you into a subliminal prison mentality. We call it life. And so who are some of those social agents? Teens. Some teens. Who are some of those social agents? Some parents. Who are some of those social agents? Some teachers. Television. Your environment. Because your environment steers you away from seeking after immortality and life, and it steers you into social norms. So those agents are uh, agents to keep you in prison. It's an invisible prison. Just like we talked about the dogs that have the invisible fence. You think you're free. See how far you can go. There's limitations. There's man-made limitations, and then there's life limitations. There's limitations on energy. There's limitations on money, and there's limitations on um, strength and life itself. The limitation for man is 120 years. You're supposed to be unlimited. So Satan and his agents keep you in this prison. Now, when you leave that prison mentality, because your first resurrection mentally is when you free yourself from that thinking that you have a temporary life. When you leave that prison, you go into the halfway house. And the halfway house doesn't mean that you've received your immortal body. It means that you know that you could receive your immortal body, and you have to maintain that. Can you from the halfway house mess up and go back into prison? Absolutely. Can you from the halfway house continue to show your good behavior and enter back into society? Absolutely. The society that you're going to enter into is the society of the immortals. 
prior to that, you're in the halfway house with the other people who are in the flesh, which is death, but in the spirit, you're waiting, you believe, and you're waiting for the redemption of your body. We're going to cover that later on, okay? So we covered that he said we shall be changed. What's the change? We read in Luke chapter twenty thirty six. neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels. So you're changed into your angelic body and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. So when you're a child of the resurrection, when you've left the halfway house and entered into the spiritual society of the immortals, that's when you are changed and you're no longer subject to death because you're no longer in the human body that was given the sentence of death because of disobedience. Okay? Let's go on. It says here, verse 54, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-four. so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Um, where is that saying written in the Bible? Where is that saying that says death is swallowed up in victory in the Bible? Okay, it's written in the 1611 version of the Bible. Okay, it's not written in the, the modern translation that we have because they're pulling all kinds of scriptures out. That's why you would have a new King James version. Well, in order for you to have a new King James version, maybe another King James needs to write it. But you don't need a new King James version. Some people say it's easier to read. Okay, it's easier to read and it's also easier to deceive. You should be going back into more ancient history and more, uh, you should be going back even into the Hebrew. You should be going back and figure out what it's saying rather than taking the new translations because obviously someone is tampering. This Bible is a new international version where they totally take scriptures out altogether. And we can use that in a future, dis future discussion and go and find all the scriptures that were pulled out to show. Someone is trying to water down and to deceive what the message of the scripture is. So that's why you would have the old 1611, uh, you would have uh, scriptures removed out of it. And one of those scriptures is the scriptures about death um, is being swallowed up in victory. Okay, let's take a look at where that scripture is. Um, in the 1611, in 2 Ezra chapter 7, in verse 43, it says, But the day of doom shall be the end of this time and the beginning of the immortality for to come. So there's actually going to be a day, okay? And that's the then that the sister is bringing out. That's the then. When that day, when that happens, okay, there's not going to be, you're going to have to know what side of the fence you're on. And the side of the fence you're on is going to be based on what you do up until that day. But the day of doom shall be the end of this time and the beginning of the immortality for to come, wherein corruption is past. Saying the same thing that we're reading in Corinthians. Corruption is past. Intemperance is at an end. Infidelity is cut off. Righteousness is grown and truth is sprung up. Then shall no man be able to save him that is destroyed, nor to oppress him that has gotten the victory. 
So the victory that it was spoken about in um, 1 Corinthians 15 and 54 is the same victory that's spoken about in Ezra's, but it was removed. And so you have to do your due diligence, number one, to prove if it's part of the Bible and also uh, to make sure you make it part of your study arsenal uh, so that you can make sure you have the uh, the proper understanding of what the scriptures are saying. Also, in my Bible, it referenced Isaiah 25 and 8. We could take a look at that just to see if it also mentions the victory. Isaiah 25, verse 8. Let's take a quick read of that, and then we're going to continue. Remember, the lines are open, 424-220-1850. Um, would like to hear uh, you know, any feedback anyone has from this point in. Uh, we're not monopolizing on the conversation, but we have something to bring out. And if you have something to add to the conversation, uh, feel free. If you're if you're calling to debate, you could call in on Thursday night and pre-call uh, so that you can be one of the debaters. But this is a conversation to add on or to share or to bring out other points about the subject. The debaters you have Thursday night. Um, Isaiah 25, verse 8, it also mentions the same thing. It says, uh, let's start from verse 7. And it says, and he will destroy in the mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations which is what this is the death and the darkness he will swallow up death and victory and the lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth for the lord has spoken it okay so that goes hand in hand with it as well okay the swallowing up of the victory is taking away let's read it again Verse 7, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. What's the veil? The death, the darkness. This is the same uh, veil that's spoken about in Isaiah 60. Uh, it says in verse 2, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and the glory shall be seen upon thee. So what's happening? There's a darkness that's in the, uh, is on the earth, which means a total ignorance of, of spiritual immortality. Because what do they tell you in the world? Live a great life. You know, do the best you can. It's like you're trying to force all life into 80 years. Do the best you can. And that's it. And then you die ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Instead of focusing on how to reach a higher spiritual level and live forever, you're, you're being taught to fit everything into 80 years. Okay? So that's the covering that's on the people. That's the ignorance. That's the darkness. And he will destroy in his mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. So it doesn't matter where you are, okay, on the earth. If you don't understand the light, then you're in darkness. And the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Why are there, why are there tears on faces? Because then you're going to realize that all the things you were trying to do, all the pain that you endure trying to do it, for example, the mothers, you know, you may have, you know, a few children, and you got to kind of whisk away because you, you, you got to work two shifts to take care of the children, and you only have them by telephone to make sure they're okay because you might not be able to afford 
you know, to pay $250, $300 a week for a babysitter, uh, four weeks out of the month, $1,200, and you're making with the two jobs, dollars $2,800, $3,000 a month, and you still have to pay rent, and you still have to pay a car note, and you still have to pay back the back bill, and you have to pay the arrangements with the light company and the gas company. You're under all this pressure, all this pain. You can't wait for the Lord. You cannot wait to have a body that's immortal, that won't die, that can't die. So that's the tears. That's the, the, the depression that people are going through in trying to endure in this kingdom. Okay? And we're going to cover a little bit later on, what does it mean when the sons of God are resurrected? What does that mean for other people? It gives a hint of that in this same Isaiah 60 that we was reading about the darkness upon the people. It says, and his glory shall be upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. So when the sons of God are enlightened, and when the sons of God are raised up, what's going to happen? You're going to be able to be a light to the other people in the world. And that's what happened with Peter when he went to Cornelius and when he had to deal with Cornelius because when he spoke the words, Cornelius and his family were baptized. The baptism isn't the physical order. The baptism is the Holy Spirit, and that comes through the word of God. And that's because the word of God is going to enter into the sons of God to edify everybody. Okay, so we're going to look at that a little bit later on, but let's continue on down. Okay. So the redemption of our bodies, which is the change that we're reading about in Corinthians, which is the swallowing up of victory, is what the whole world is waiting for, okay? They may not know they're waiting for it, but why do you think people sigh, and why do you think people shake their heads, and why do you think you can take one ride through any hood, okay, and look at the faces of the people. They look glazed over. Take a look into the faces of the people. You can see the pain in the face of the people. So they may not know they're waiting for it, but they know that a change has to come. They know that it has to be better than this. So the whole creation is waiting for this. Let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says here, uh, let's start from 18. It says, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be received in us. The suffering of this present time. Now, this was written back in Romans. You might read that and say, well, this must be talking about that time, not this time. But you're still suffering, right? The sufferings of this present time, back then, talking about now, still, is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Because there's going to be a greater glory. What's that greater glory? It goes on to say, for the earnest expectation of the creature, which is mankind, waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God, even if they don't know. In their spirit, their spirit knows. The homeless person knows. Okay? The person that um, is working and only able to make zero even after they work, they've done all they humanly can and still have nothing. They know. They're waiting for something. So even people that are ignorant to the immortal breakdown, they still know that, listen, something got to be more than this. 
Okay? Remember this song. A change is going to come. How did he know that? Do you think maybe he had some insight into immortality or he just know, you know what? A change is going to come. Sam Cooke. Okay? Because there has to be something better than this. And what I'm telling you is that the better than this is immortal, is an immortal existence and that immortal existence is going to be marked when you wake up out of the ignorance of the flesh and then are in the halfway house. And so when Christ comes and redeems your body, that's when you're going to enter into your rest and you're going to enter into an immortal existence. No more pain, no more tears, no more death, no more threats. Okay? No more job, just the service of God and an immortal existence. So it says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, humankind, especially the sons of God, was made subject to vanity. When did that happen? That happened when Adam and Eve, as we read in our previous discussion, when Adam and Eve was given the coats of skin, you were given a temporary or mortal existence. And that's found in Genesis 3:21. Onto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. You're clothed on with an immortal existence. So that's when you were subject to vanity. Because now, that's what he told them, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. Because now you got to work. Before you was given a whole wide whatever. Live, eat, just don't mess with the knowledge of good and evil. And what did we do? We messed with the knowledge of good and evil. So he said, okay, you wanted to know it? Know it all the way. Now you're going to experience what they experienced. Okay? So this creature, verse 20, was made subject to vanity, not willingly. That's not what his will for you was. What was the will for us? Well, it tells you, in again, in the Apocrypha, that's why it's very important that you get it. To be able to see the pieces of the puzzle, again, remember, Apocrypha is spelled A-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-A, okay? Pick one up or go and get you a 1611 edition of the Bible. They have them, Barnes and Nobles. Check them out, okay? Eventually, on our website, we'll probably just have them on there. You just go ahead and order it directly from our website. Um, or for you that want, I can send you a, a PDF version. Just send your email, askkashab, A-S-K-C-H-A-A-S-H-A-B at gmail.com, and I'll send you a PDF version with it in there, and you can check it out for yourself. What was his will for man? Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Nevertheless, through envy of the devil came death into the world, and they that do hold on his side do find it. Envy of the devil is what brought death into the world. Because you see what they're doing over there, and you wonder why you can't do what they're doing over there. And so, what does he show you? Let me show you how I do it. And that's what Satan told Eve. Let me, let me show you, man. You know, he knows that when your eyes is open, man, that you're going to be like a god. So, let me show you how, how good it is over here. And what do you do? Drink the Kool-Aid. That was the first drinking of the Kool-Aid. You bought into a philosophy of disobedience, something different from God, and so you entered into death. Okay? But that wasn't his will. 
Not willingly, it says in Romans, because his will for man is for man to be like him, immortal. For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Nevertheless, that's the not willingly. Nevertheless, which is the consequence, through envy of the devil came death into the world. And they that do hold on his side do find it. And some of us are still holding on to his side. Because those social agents bring you back into prison and tell you that realistically, when you're talking about the Bible, that's unrealistic. But you need to deal with some realities. You need to get that money. You need to get that house. You need to get that credit. You need to get everything that's going to subject and bring you closer under Satan's control so that when you begin to lose those things, he uses that as a way to blackmail you into staying in his realm. So you get things that you don't want to lose, and then it begins to be used against you to keep you in prison, to keep the tears falling from your eyes. So a lot of us have to simplify our lives and not willingly subject ourselves to Satan's control, okay? That doesn't mean you cannot have things. That doesn't mean that you cannot do the, and be the very best you can do at whatever you're doing. That doesn't mean that you cannot live nice because, remember, we're children of the king. But when your priority is just that, then you become envious of the devil, okay? That's why as soon as, especially in the minority community, as soon as they get a little bit of money, they start trying to do things like the other people that have already have money, and that's why they have the difference between new money and old money. You're new money, and you can't even fit in. And so you begin to do extra things to fit in, like, you know, and I hate to you to call people out, but look at this guy, Kanye West, who spends $180,000 on a watch to have his face on it. Now, I don't know what he does charitably, but now someone else, and Kanye West was imitating Usher, who had a watch with his face on it, that spent $250,000 on it. So it becomes a competition of death or a competition with the envy of the devil. So now you read that article. And you may not have $180,000, but they have now the, the, the ghetto version where you can get your face put on it for $180. So you're competing with death and competing with the devil instead of focusing on how to get to your immortal place. That's how they sell it. Okay? So Kanye obviously was intrigued by Usher. And who knows who Usher was intrigued by? And you spending this kind of money on these devices that's going to that's gonna probably live longer than you, okay? Go on to say, back in Romans, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. So Christ made you and subjected you to this uh, mortal body so that the hope would be that you will rise above the mortal body and receive your immortal body. Okay, verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. There we go again. As we read earlier in 1 Corinthians, that corruption was not talking about you being in the ground, but it's talking about an alive mortal creature that's subject to vanity. Obviously, dead people aren't subject to vanity. But the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And the glorious liberty is an immortal existence. But right now, 
when your mind is free, you're already entering into that immortal. So the first resurrection within you is within your thoughts. Then the redemption of your body. It goes on to say in verse 22 of Romans, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. The whole creation, animals, trees, human beings, nations, chosen, not chosen, everybody is groaning. That's when you groan within your spirit, when you see something totally contrary, and you just go, mm, and you just shake your head. Ten-year-old son kills his mother. Mm. You groan because you know that, look, if this is it, man, if the kingdom of God has already come, some people even, you know, teach that, called preterism, teach that the kingdom of God already came. Christ came already. Well, if that's it and this is what's going on, then what is going on? Okay? And as a matter of fact, part of of, of of where they get that doctrine from is because of the generational discussions that Christ talked about, saying that this generation shall not pass till all these things happen. And so they go right into, uh, well, it had to happen then because it said this generation. And so Christ had to come already. It's total foolishness. If Christ came already and we're inside of this um, mortal body and we are groaning still, then we making the rest of the scriptures a lie, okay? And you could always call in on the debate show and debate that. If Christ came already, that would be a great debate, okay? 424-220-1850. Now it goes on to say in verse 22, Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. And not only they... But we ourselves also, not only the rest of the creation, but we ourselves, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, and that's in your mind. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, doing what? Waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for our bodies to be redeemed, but while we're waiting in the halfway house, we're groaning because we still have to witness the atrocities and witness the total contrary to Christ and total contrary to even righteousness. Even an atheist that doesn't believe in Christ, when he hears that another atheist child killed their parents, still groans, still feels a way like, oh, man, it's just, and you know what they say? It's just morally wrong, man. It's just morally wrong. Well, who set the laws of mortal, mortal? Who makes it a moral thing to be wrong? If you're an atheist, there's no rules. Just do whatever you want to do because there's no rules. There's nothing that gauges. But the same groaning that goes on within an atheist goes on within a believer, even more for a believer if you have understanding. But even an atheist, when he hears something wrong, he shakes his head. But he doesn't look at God as the way for him to be redeemed of that uh, of of that heaviness. He looks and he goes into all kinds of psych. He goes and sits down in a chair and talks to a psychologist about what's going on, rather than going into the scriptures. Okay. So let's go on. So now it says, especially a pivotal part of Romans, the first fruit of the spirit. Okay, who was the first one that was able to be the first fruit? And to, to, to rise, Christ was. And it even tells you that. He was the first redeemed of the dead. 
This is Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And again, remember, calls you can call in if anyone is, is lost, if anyone doesn't understand. Remember, there will be a rebroadcast that so you can listen then. But also, you know, if you have any questions, anything that's not clear, please feel free to call in. 424-220-1850. Now we're in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, and, for, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. The first begotten of the dead. Not the dead that saw corruption, but the dead that did not see corruption because we read in Acts 13 that he wasn't like the David who corroded or corrupt became corrupt. Okay? So we also will not be uh, corrupted, but we will be changed from, from this very same body. It says, and from Jesus who is the first faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loveth, him, uh, loveth us and washed us from our sin in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If someone is preaching the doctrine of preterism that Christ came already and working a job, then you're obviously not a king and a priest. If Christ came already and you're still working a job, you're not a king and a priest. You're a servant, okay? So those are the type of, of scriptures that show what Christ was able to do and what he was showing us that we, when we are redeemed, first mentally and then physically when we receive our bodies, how it's going to be, okay? So let's go on. Ephesians chapter 1. Some people may say, okay, so what does that have to do with anything? That's great. That's nice. We receive a body. So what? Well, there's more. Let's look at that. Ephesians 1, verse 5, as we read before, it says that this thing was already predestined. So your position with this body is already something that was predestined. You're already written in a book called the Book of Life, and that Book of Life shows who is going to receive life. That means you can't do anything to stop it if you're supposed to, and you can't do anything to get it if you're not supposed to. The sons and daughters of God that are supposed to receive this body are already written in the book of life, and they're already predestined and predetermined. First Ephesians 1 and 5 says, having predestined us onto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And that's why it tells you in Romans that we read a little bit earlier, where it says the adoption. The adoption of what? The adoptions of 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 uh of sons, okay, and that's why. And I'll read it again, just just for cross referencing sake. Uh, Romans eight twenty three, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. And so that adoption is the actual change from your physical mortal into your immortal. That's the adoption, and that is already predestined and predetermined, okay. So whether you like it or not, if you're supposed to be raised up, you're going to be raised up. If you're not supposed to be, you know, that's between you and the king. Ephesians 1 and 5 again, having predestinated us onto the adoption of children by himself to Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. So that's already set. Okay? It also cross-references that again in Second. Timothy's, 
So what I'm showing you all is if that spirit was, is within you and is guiding you and telling you there's more, if you groan for more, if you thirst for more, then let's figure out how to obtain this immortality. Don't get comfortable in the doctrines that's out there. Don't believe uh, information that doesn't jive with your spirit. If you know that there's more and you want to seek out that more, then let's study. Okay, let's examine these scriptures. Besides these classes, you know, we'll have the conference calls and you could jump in. If you're interested in, uh, in learning more, go ahead and send an email. Ask Kashab at gmail.com and we'll send you and shoot you the conference call information. If you're in a state that, uh, that we intend to visit and you'd like to have a face-to-face, -face, then so be it. Okay. We'll stop in or we'll invite you when we're in that state. But you have to take the steps in figuring out how to get that immortal uh, immortal body. It's not just listen to this discussion and go back into the ways of death. It's listening to the discussion and figure, okay, so what do I do now? Okay? So Second Timothy chapter 2, let's look at verse 13. Okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, not Second Timothy. Second. Uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse thirteen. It says here, "But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. From the beginning, chosen you to salvation, which is the same as saying chosen you to be resurrected." They're saying, chosen you to be conformed into the image of Christ. That is, chosen you because you're already the chosen from the foundation of the earth. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through thanks, sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. You don't believe the truth, that's not talking to you. You don't believe in Christ, that's not talking to you. And this also goes into if you just believe in law, you just believe in information, you just believe in your pastor, you just believe in whatever, whatever you believe in it, you cannot enter into life immortal without entering into life immortal through recognizing and acknowledging Christ because he is the one that did it. So that's like we're going through a minefield and I have the metal detector and I'm walking through the minefield in front of you and the metal detector is showing me not where to walk and where not to walk. And I, and I pick up on a certain signal. And I said, don't walk there. Walk here. And you see me going through the minefield. And I put little markers on all the places that you're supposed to walk. Excuse me, that was Christ. Okay? He put all the markers. You decide, yeah, I see the steps he took, but I'm going to take my steps over here. And you walk and get blown to smithereen. You're supposed to walk the steps. That he did. So how can you disrespect someone who did it and you haven't did it? You haven't done it. If you disrespect Christ and he did it and show you how to enter into life, then you shouldn't even be enrolled in any school at all. Okay? You shouldn't be enrolled in any school at all. Because if you're enrolled in some kind of school and you're taking information from a professor and that professor is giving you information because he has done it, 
and you take the notes and you respect that professor, then how are you going to disrespect the professor of life? So a lot of people need to examine that. The professor of life. We're not talking about how to make things happen here on the earth. We're talking about how to make things happen beyond this time that you've been given. So that's really something that needs to be examined. You cannot disrespect the professor of life or the master of life or the king of life or the way of life and then think you're going to live this life uh, beyond your 80 years. And, you know, for those of you that are 60 and 70 years old, you need to repent. And for a lot of us, because of the poor foods and everything, your time is being cut shorter and shorter. You might live to 55 years old. If you're above 40 years old, repent. If you're above 20 years old, repent. If you're above 13 years old, repent. Because you cannot disrespect the king of life and think you're going to live uh, long within this short span you've been given. You're not, in other words, the, the long, short story. You want to live long within the short story of life, 80 years, and you want to max that out. And I'm telling you, you can max it out and live beyond even that, okay? So that was another example of, listen, from the beginning, this thing was already written, who is going to be who, okay? Now, let's go back into the Thessalonian story to show how it's going to go down. So we've defined who the dead are. The dead are the ones that are in the body, that are, uh, that are uh, dead because of the sentence of death put on all flesh, okay? But those dead can be in a halfway house wherein their thoughts are in the belief and acknowledgement and recognition and walking the steps of Christ, okay? So those are dead in the body but alive in the spirit, okay? Those same alive are the ones that synonymous in, in 1 Corinthians 4 that says alive and remain. So in other words, the dead in Christ are the people that are dead in body but they're in Christ as far as in their thoughts and in their spirit, is synonymous with the alive and remain. So you're alive and remain, meaning you're not like one of those that sleep, but you're dead in Christ because you're in this dead body and you're still mentally in Christ. So hopefully that makes sense. So in other words, when you read in First Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 13, it's only talking about two people, those that are asleep and those that are dead in Christ. It's only two people. But the dead in Christ, it also gives them another label, which means alive and remain. Okay? Alive and remain because you're not up there under the altar asking God, when is he going to redeem your body? Okay? You're down here waiting for it. But you're still alive, but in the in the spirit realm, you're still dead because you're still in this body waiting for the redemption. So when we read First Thessalonians four, just keep in mind it's only talking about two people. All right. In verse thirteen again, as we read earlier, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Don't sorry for the ones that are asleep. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For, that, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that 
we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Okay, so still only talking about two people. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Some people read that and say, see, this is talking about those that are in the ground. We've already covered that that's not talking about them. That's talking about those of us that are dead in the body because of the sentence of death, but alive in Christ. They're going to rise first. Then it summarizes the whole thing again, and it says, then we which are alive and remain, which is the same as the dead in Christ, is the same people, because there's only two people it's talking about here, those that are asleep and those that are waiting to be redeemed on earth. Then we which are alive and remain shall, not, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that's what they call the rapture or the unification. I call that uh, the reunion. The reunion between the sons of God that are on earth and the sons of God that are under the altar. That's the reunion. They're coming, and they have already received their immortal body to get us who are waiting for our immortal body, and we're going to meet them together in the air, and it's going to be a big reunion. And you're going to see Moses, and you're going to see Elijah, you're going to see Christ, and you're going to be able to ask all kinds of questions on everything because what? You haven't tasted death. You're going to remember, yeah, I remember when I used to have to work two jobs, man. You know, thank God, man. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because no one's going to tell you, if you don't work, we're going to foreclose and take your home. And um, then we're going to, and there's no more threats. You have power over the devil and over his angels and over the whole planet. Okay? Prove it, Tishab. That sounds kind of Star Trek-ish. You know, I know how some, how some of you think. You believe with your mouth, but in your mind, you start canceling out that reality. Because it sounds above what you were taught, okay? You may even have a dream about the same thing and doubt it. Ephesians 1, this is the proof that the sons of God, and like I said, sons of God, I'm talking about the men and women of God, okay? So I don't, hopefully no one is feeling left out, okay? The children of God. Ephesians 1 and 10 speaks about the reunion, okay? Let's start from verse 9. Here we go with the mystery again. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Everybody don't know this. Scholars don't know it. Just like scholars that were inside of the uh, Babylonian kingdom, they didn't know it. And Daniel knew it. And Daniel had to be called to show things that was above their understanding. It's the same thing. It's a mystery. Okay, so if you think your college professor is going to know this, he's not going to know because he's still trying to maximize on his 80 years. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and that's that date that he was talking about, when all of this wraps up, when I come, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, meaning those of us that are down here waiting for the redemption and those that are coming, look what it says, gather together all in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, the, the, the martyrs, and which are on earth, even in him. He's going to gather it all together in one. That's the reunion. Okay? And what's going to happen in that reunion? Well, you're going to go from your mortal body into your immortal. You're going to become an angel of God. What else? That's it? Somebody said, that's it? Some of us ungrateful individuals. That's it? That's all I get? A new body? That's what, that's what this thing is all about? No, it's a little greater than that. Check this out. This is back in the Apocrypha again. That's why I recommend you get it, because these are pieces of the puzzle. Second Ezra chapter 2, and it speaks about the future prophecy, that day. Okay? And this is in Second Ezra chapter 2, verse 42. It says, I, Ezra, saw upon the Mount Zion a great people whom I could not number. And they all praised the Lord with songs. And in the midst of them, there was a young man of a high stature, taller than all the rest. And upon every one of their heads, he set crowns and was more exalted, which I marveled at greatly. So again, like I said, if you're preaching the doctrine of preterism and you're saying this is Christ's kingdom, where's your crown? Because if your bank account is showing negative, you don't have a crown. And if it even shown $50,000, you still don't have a crown, especially when they make the announcement that the dollar's worth nothing. Okay? You're supposed to receive a crown when you become an immortal. So what happened? So Ezra saw this, and he says he saw in the midst of them a young man of high stature, taller than all the rest, and upon every one of their heads he set crowns. And was more exalted, which I marveled at greatly. So I asked the angel and said, Sir, what are these? He answered and said unto me, These be they that have put off the mortal clothing. Remember the clothing that happened in Genesis? The clothing of skin? Well, you're going to put off that mortal clothing and put on the immortal. And have confessed the name of God. Now are they crowned and receive palms. So it's not just talking about you receiving a new body. It's talking about you receiving your position that was already predetermined and written in the book of life. You're receiving your position as a future ruler of the planet. It's beyond anything that you could even imagine. You're going to be amongst the future rulers of the planet. Is that everybody? No. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, it's not everybody. It's not everybody. Everyone is not going to receive that immortal body. Only those who it is written that they're written in the book of life. Only the sons and daughters of God. The other believers, you're going to live underneath the righteous kingdom, but you're not going to receive that particular uh, glorious position. Okay? But here's the funny thing. We don't know exactly who is who. So continue. Because I can't tell you who's who. But you have to continue. So what happens? Let's read on. It says here in Revelations, 
Okay? In Revelations, it says, because like I said, some believe that, well, listen, everyone is already uh, sealed. The the 144,000, those people, the redeemed, the resurrect, they're already sealed. That's incorrect. Okay, Revelation 7. It says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind shall not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. So if the 144,000 were sealed, and we know that's the 144,000, because when you read on, it says, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. If there were 144,000 of those that were predestined to be sealed, were already sealed, then the angels would have hurt the earth. And this thing would have been shut down and the new kingdom would be established. And you would have your crown on your head and it will be righteousness and all of that. That's not what's going on right now. What is the seal? The seal is spoken about in the... Uh, I believe it's Ezekiel chapter 9. Something has to happen. And so we're getting into now, well, how does this whole thing get wrapped up? Okay. Well, a couple of things have to happen. The word has to get out. And that's one of the reasons for even bringing out this conversation. The word has to get out. Okay. About what's happening about what the options are, about what's coming. The word has to get out because that's how people are resurrected. Okay, so let's look at that. This is Ezekiel chapter 9. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Well, some will read that and say, well, we're not in Jerusalem. Okay? Wherever the children of God are is considered Jerusalem or Jeshurun. It means the people. Okay? Go through... The midst of the city. Remember, we read earlier about the groaning and the groaning process that people feel when they see the atrocities and things contrary to righteousness and contrary to a mortal and moral standard. The Lord says to the angel, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. I'm saying that if this is God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom, why is it that we're still sighing and crying for all the abominations that be done in the earth? So that's the mark that is referencing in Revelation chapter 7, 
when it says, hurt not the earth, verse 3, neither the sea nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And so how does that process happen? How is God sealed in the forehead of the people? That's through the teaching of the word. Okay? That's through the teaching of the word. And in order for the word to be taught, we're not talking about the teaching of prosperity as in the gospel of prosperity. We're not talking about that type of teaching of the word because that's not teaching of the word. That's teaching of how to be jealous of Satan because there's always going to be someone who got more money. So if you think it's money, you think you're going to buy an immortal body? Yeah, let me get an immortal body. How much is it? Oh, it's a million dollars. All right, I'm going to save up for it. You can't buy it. You earn it. So through the teaching of the word is how people are unlocked from death. And it's whoever is unlocked is whoever is predestined to be unlocked. But there's a, a teaching that helps to unlock them because they're in a prison. And so through the conversation, they're freed from that prison. Okay? And Christ promised the disciples, as I covered in um, one of the previous discussions, he promised the disciples that he will send that comforter. Okay? And when he sends that comforter, that comforter will help them to be able to release the uh, first, the, first they themselves will be released, which is the spirit of truth. And then now through their words, they will be able to release others. So that's, let's go to John, St. John chapter 14, verse 18. As a matter of fact, let's start from uh, 15, just so we can have a ramp up of what he's talking about. Okay. And so before we do that, let's just recap. Remember, we're talking about here you stand right now in a mortal body. You've been taught that your purpose here is for you to live a good life, to get money, to get married, to get a house, and to live happily ever after. The scriptural version of that is you were born, you were born into death because of the sins of Adam, and so you've entered in this world in an immortal, into an immortal body, and that you are here for you to figure out how to get back to where you once were, which is an immortal you. And so you're put in here as a test to see who can get to their promised immortal body, okay? And those people who are supposed to get it are already predestined to get it, but they may not know. They're locked away in human bodies that they just don't know, okay? And so through the word, you realize that you can receive that immortal body, but you haven't received it yet. You just went from not knowing anything about it to knowing that this is something that you can get. And you figure, well, how do I get it? And that's through where we're covering right now, through the word being showed you, shown to you about immortality 
and what it means and what the whole purpose of man is according to why God created and what everyone is waiting for and what all creatures and all creation is waiting for, which is the manifestation of the sons of God. And so we're covering, well, how do you get that spirit? How do you get a chance to begin this road to immortal, uh, an immortal you? Okay, some of us may have to get immortal partners. You may have to have someone, whether it's a friend or whether it's uh, a mate or someone that encourages you and watches your back and makes sure that they encourages you in righteous uh, ways. Okay, and also if 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 it sparks your spirit and you realize, you know what, this is something that I always knew, or this is something that it feels right, or this is something that, that sounds right, this is something I want to get to learn more about, then it's for you to take the steps in order to figure out if this is talking to you or not, okay? So where we are now is Christ is showing the disciples when he was amongst them how he was going to do this and how he was, when he left on earth, he wasn't going to leave them because that spirit was going to still be in them once he left, okay? And he's going to show them how it's going to enter. So that's where we are, okay, as a quick recap. John 14 and verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Future tense. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, ye shall live also. So this is the promise that he promised the disciples. He went on to say, at that day, what day is that? At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Okay? So the I in you part is very important, because remember we read earlier that darkness was going to be on the earth. This is Isaiah 60. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy coming. And he's speaking to the sons of God, saying, when you guys wake up, and I am now in you, then you're going to be a light to the world, which is in darkness. Okay? So that's what he's promising the disciples. So some will say, well, that was only talk talking to them. That wasn't talking to us now today. Well, if that's the case, then the angels should have been hurting the earth because everybody would be sealed. There will be no reason for us to be here. Okay? So in Acts, he reiterates, this is after he was taken up. He came back. This is Acts 1 verse 2. It says, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he has chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. That means he was seen alive after he was 
he was um, nailed to the cross and put in the in the tomb. He was seen, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of these things pertaining to the kingdom, and being assembled together with them. So after he was already crucified and rose, he was assembled together with the disciples, and he reiterated something to them, and being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And when he say, you heard of me, I told you back in, in, where, in John, where we're reading. I told you. Okay? Then he says, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And that means not, not too long from now. A few days. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And when they were therefore come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is, this, is it happening now? And that goes with, again, this is the question that's just asked. Is it, is it now? You're speaking these things. Is it now? No, it's not now. It's later. When you see me coming. That's when it is. That day is when you see me coming. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in, Judea, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. When the Spirit has come upon you, you're going to be witnesses. You're going to tell people about me because then you're going to receive that power. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And the cloud received them out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are angels. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come back from out of the sky. And we read that, that when he appears, those that are asleep are going to be with him, and those that are alive and remain on earth are going to be raised up and meet them in the air, the family reunion. Okay? So they already dropped that on us. So let's go now further into Acts verse 2 and see when they received that spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house wherein they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as unto fire, and it sat upon each one of them. Upon who? Upon the disciples. So it's beginning to manifest what he said about the Holy Spirit coming on them. Okay? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Like I said, this is not habajuba habahaba. As people say, is the Holy Spirit. This is the languages um, that they were able to edify anyone in any language because the Spirit was on them. And it's going to clarify that as we read down. And they were, de and they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitudes came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. 
okay? And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these men Galilean? Aren't these men from Galilee? Don't they speak Galilean? Don't they speak Hebrew? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so through the Holy Spirit being on them now, they were able to go out and be able to edify and raise up others to be edified in God. Okay? And so here's an example of that. We, you know, if you've ever read, you should read Acts the 10th chapter, uh, where Peter, who was one of the, um, the disciples, as a matter of fact, he was the main one. He was the head guy over them after Christ. Peter was told to go and speak to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, okay? And so he was probably receiving some slack for that because the Jews weren't supposed to go and deal with the Gentiles. Again, remember, I'm showing you how Isaiah 60, where it says, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. Everybody's in darkness. No one has the victory. Only Christ got the victory. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy, of thy rising. So when these men received the Holy Spirit, they now had to teach everybody so that everyone can have a chance to repent. Those whoever's going to repent will fall within their, their rank within this future future body. Not everyone that repents and that believes is going to be amongst the 144,000. The 144,000 are the ones that Christ is in that are predestined, but they have to now teach everyone the word of God. Okay? And whoever receives it, receives it. Whoever doesn't receive it, doesn't receive it. Okay? That's why it says, if a man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Okay? So Acts 11 now is an example of of how now once the Holy Spirit has fell on Peter, he's reiterating that he had to go and talk to Cornelius because the Spirit told him to go and talk to Cornelius. And look what happened. This is Acts 11, verses 1. It says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, because those of the circumcision are just the Jews. They contended with him, saying, that was that went in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them? But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, started explaining, and said, I was in Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it has been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came unto me. Upon the which I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-fitted beasts of the earth, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. So he said he saw this sheet, like a flat sheet, like it looked you know, like, looked like a plate came down, and it sat down on earth, and he saw all kinds of stuff on the plate. But remember, this was a vision. This wasn't a plate of food put in front of him. Okay? And he says, and I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. And I said, Oh, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has any time entered into my mouth. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a Jew, man. I don't eat you know things unlawful. Okay, but the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, that's called thou not common. That's not saying you could eat whatever you want. Remember, this is a vision, and he's going to explain what the vision was. 
And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. Okay, and behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. He said, after the vision, then I, three men came to me. And the Spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubting. Remember, we read in the Sons of God discussion that the sons of God are those that are led by the Spirit of God. Okay? If you're led by the Spirit of someone else, then you have to examine if you're a son or daughter of God because the sons of God are told by the Spirit what to do, and they do it. And so is the case with him. It says, moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house who stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa. And call for Simon. So this is Cornelius telling him the story on his part. Yeah, an angel came to me and told me to send for you. How come the angels didn't just explain to, to Cornelius what God's will was? Because Christ in his disciples, the spirit of truth in his disciples is how you're going to get it. When the spirit of truth is in you, which means Christ in you, then you are commissioned to edify by, because Christ is in you. You can't just edify because of theology school. You can't just edify because you read a couple of Wikipedia pages. You can't just edify because of your own feeling. It's something that is going to be very clear that Christ is in you because, as we covered last time, when you speak, you speak the words of life, and your words of life changes and wakes up and ignites the other sons and daughters of God and even makes the other people that hear it repent and figure out, how can I get eternal life? And that's the same question they was asking the king. Okay? Back to Acts. So Cornelius is telling him, the angel said, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy household shall be saved. Why the middleman? Because that's in order. Okay. Verse 15, this is, what Pe this is what Peter said. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on to us at the beginning. Why? Why was it when he began to speak? When you read John 17, this is what Christ told him. He said, neither pray I for these alone, meaning not just for the sons of God, not just for my elect, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So there's order. Christ came, gathered together his 12. His 12, he put the Holy Spirit in. The, the, the 12 from the Holy Spirit taught others who the Holy Spirit fell on, woke up, and is still waking up to this day, the rest of the 144,000. And as the 144,000 are woken up, they speak the words, and free the other sons and the other people who believe from this death of the body. If you're not getting that and you're just getting a bunch of rhetoric and past the collection plate, then you're being robbed. Okay? That's why I call it, I have to do a discussion call, is it tights or commissary? Are you paying tights or commissary? Because if you're in prison and you're paying... It's commissary. You're paying into something and you're not getting anything out of it. You're just maintaining. Okay? 
Acts 11 and 15 again. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as onto us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord. Remember, he was telling them in Acts how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For, for, for so much then as God gave them the like gift as he did us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? He's saying, I wouldn't, hey, if you left it up to me, I wouldn't even have went to them, is what he's saying. But this is what the Spirit told me to do. They received the Spirit. Who was I? Okay? So the word, number one, the process of the resurrection is for the sons and daughters of God to wake up. And once that Holy Spirit makes them alive, because before that they were dead, then they could bring others alive through the words spoken and received. And the word spoken and received has to be the word of the Spirit. It can't just be vain repetition and rhetoric. Okay? So Christ freed the souls from death through the word, which is life. And that's what he also did. Uh, when he came, okay, when he came, it tells you in Peter's first Peter chapter three, this is the same thing he did. Okay, verse 19, it says, and by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So Christ preached to the spirits in prison. And what happened? Which sometimes were disobedient. And that's where most people are. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, comparing it to the days of Noah when he was long-suffering, because after the days of Noah came destruction. Well, same thing. After these days is going to come destruction, as we read earlier, the day of doom, which is going to stop all immortal and corruption. God waited in the day of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So it's the same kind of vibe right now. There's a preparing and Noah was preaching to the people that were marrying and giving in marriage and doing whatever they want. Same kind of spirit right now. It says, verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism. How is baptism? The speaking of the word, waking people up, does also now save us, not the putting away of filth of the flesh, not of taking a shower or getting dunked in water, and if you get dunked in water, I mean, it's nothing, but you still have to follow through with the actions, because this is what baptism is. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answering of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? So the resurrection and the baptism is not just dunked in water, but it is a change of your mind and a change of your understanding from dead works into the works of life which is the preparation and maintaining of yourself so that when he's handing out new bodies, you're able to be in line to receive those new bodies. Okay? So let's go on now, and let's look at some of the other characteristics. Okay? Number one, the first characteristics for the elect, you have to be of the children of Israel. Okay? That's okay if you're not of the children of Israel because you will receive the word from 
But it's not just all children of Israel either. We're not talking about all children of Israel because some of the children of Israel will perish. He told some of the children of Israel in John, you are not of my sheep. So let's not get that misconstrued that I'm saying just because you're children of Israel. I'm saying the elect amongst the children of Israel, them. That's number one, to be the elect. And you're already pre-written. Like, I can't choose it and I can't deny it, okay? However he does it, but that's one of the characteristics. We read that because the 144,000 were called out of the children of Israel. Then they have to teach. Number two, second characteristics of uh, this resurrection, belief. You cannot not believe um, being a children of Israel, being a Gentile. You cannot deny the king. One of the characteristics of that seed, it says here in Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, talking about Abraham, before him whom he believeth, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. Okay? Who against hope, it's Abraham, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. So the seed of Abraham, whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Jew, the seed of Abraham will have this one thing in common, this belief even beyond the common sense and the logic. Okay? Believe in Christ. So number one characteristics of the elect children of Israel. Not all children of Israel, but the elect amongst the children of Israel. Second characteristic, belief. Then you have to continue while you're in this halfway house. And wait for the redemption of your body. That means that you can do something to get yourself pulled out of, like we read, you can get your crown taken away. Okay? And then you maintain. How does the future look? Let's take a quick look at that as we wind up. How does the future look? This is Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4. It says, and they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. Here we go with the name in the foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord shall give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's the future for the elect. Okay? As for the Gentiles, the Gentiles will live within the kingdom of God underneath a righteous rulership. Some may not like that. Okay? But that's what it is. You would rather be there than not be there. Another characteristic, Romans 14. And they sung, verse 3, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man can learn that song but the 144,000. So I'm saying, children of Israel. And then the Gentiles, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb wheresoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was not found any guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And these are the things that you have to look forward to. So, in summary, the resurrection of the dead pertains first to sons of God, and then through the sons of God teaching the word of God, they are redeemed. And thank you so much for joining us for this discussion 
I hope that everyone was edified. And I invite you to send questions to askashab at gmail.com or at Twitter at askashab or follow us on Facebook at askashab at gmail.com. Put that in. We'll be able to follow you. And I look forward to your questions and your comments. And also follow us on the radio show. Uh, and there you'll be able to put your questions and comments. But there's so much more to this subject. And I look forward to hearing from you all. And I have you, I hope you have a blessed and wonderful day. All right. Have a good one. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found. Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground. Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around. We on Christ's side now. Guarantee it's going down.